Hey guys, something exciting is coming. Before I talk about anything else, go to thefuture.girlboss.com and sign up for a game-changing announcement we will have in the coming months. Hello, Girl Boss Radio listeners. We have a great guest coming up today. We're chatting with actress, entrepreneur, and activist Angelica Ross. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about Blinkist. Mm-hmm. If you're like me, I have a very, very long list of books I want to read mm-hmm. and books people suggest to me. It's just never ending. And that's one of the top pieces of content we have on girlboss.com. Right. It's like we talk about books you must read and. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a very curious audience. And so that's why Blinkist is really perfect for our listeners. It's the only app that takes thousands of the best-selling nonfiction books and distills them down to their most impactful elements. So you can read or listen to them in under 15 minutes, all on your phone. Plus, you can listen anywhere. So if you are into audio, me, which we are, Blinkist is perfect for you. I like to listen to it while I'm driving to the office. I don't have a super long commute, thank God, in Los Angeles. It's a great way for me to just gain a skill, educate myself, get advice, be able to instill that in our work yeah. here at Girl Boss, and be the guinea pig for everything that we're doing here. Mm-hmm. I really like this book that has been pretty much like kind of a parallel to Girl Boss. I think if you read Girl Boss, you might have read this, How to Be a Badass by Jen Sincero. And also love What They Don't Teach You at Harvard Business School by Mark McCormick. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash girlboss to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash girlboss to start your free seven-day trial. Blinkist.com slash girlboss. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girl Boss Media, and this is Girl Boss Radio. Angelica Ross is an actress, entrepreneur, and activist best known for trans tech and for her role on the FX series Pose. Angelica started her career in the Navy. Six months after joining, she requested and received an uncharacterized discharge under the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy because she was harassed by enlisted men who coerced her into saying she was gay. My heart broke so bad in the sense that when I went through boot camp and I completed boot camp and I accomplished that, proving to myself uh, how strong I was and capable and all those things and that I too was willing to fight for my country and for my rights and all that. And at the ceremony when we were sort of getting that recognition, you know, and they were waving the flag and all these things, like people are crying. And 
I'm crying too, but I'm like starting to cry really for a different reason because I realize that I'm fighting for other people's rights. After the Navy, Angelica has had a rich career that has spanned a lot of industries. She then moved to Hollywood, Florida, worked as a model and escort until 2003, and then she started her own company, a web development and graphic design business. After working there, Angelica launched Trans Tech Social Enterprises, a nonprofit creative design firm that trains and contracts transgender and other workers. In the nonprofit sector, they were missing something hugely. And really, it was me and people like me. During this time, she was also a featured speaker at the White House LGBTQ Tech and Innovation Summit. In 2016, Angelica began her professional acting career when she was in the Emmy-nominated web series, Her Story. It was a show about trans women in Los Angeles. And these days, Angelica portrays the character Candy Abundance in the 2018 Ryan Murphy-produced series, Pose. The series is incredibly historic as it features five transgender women of color as main characters. Me specifically, as an actor who has been shut out so much to be working with people who are considered in the industry to be at the top of their game and not just to be working with them but to have them affirm you and today angelica is here to talk about how her adversity led to her purpose what cisgender people can do to help transgender people what to know about transgender people and how things are changing for the transgender community We'll get to our chat with Angelica in just a moment, but first, Maggie's here, and we're going to talk all about what's going on here at the Girl Boss Headquarters. Hey, Maggie. What's up? What's up, Maggie? Hey. So we have a piece about getting dressed for Mm -hmm. work, which is something, I don't know, I didn't sell a ton of work clothes at Nasty Gal, Mm -hmm. but it's something we all have to take into account. Maggie, does work attire even, is that even a thing anymore? I know, I think that a lot, because... Our office is pretty cool, laid back in the sense of, you know, just being who you are, expressing it creatively through your outfits. So I feel like we're really lucky here at Girl Boss, but it kind of does matter. Um, and if it doesn't, you still think about it and worry about mm-hmm. it. It's just normal and not. And it depends weird to on think. the kind of company you work for, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Right. Because when I first started in St. Louis, it was a very formal company and I'd wear. A blazer, um, heels to work, very uncomfortable things. Um, And then moving to California, which is very laid back and chill. Jeans, fashionable tennis shoes are okay. Um, I've had to wear wear uniforms starting at Subway, working in a lobby, and literally it's like the starchiest men's Mm. clothes. Like they're not even, doesn't even seem like they're made for women. Oh God. Would you have to give them back to get dry cleaned or would you do At the end, Mm. but... I worked at a gelato shop for like two weeks in Portland Mm -hmm. and, you know, you're reaching in there. This is kind of a departure from what we're talking about, but it's a little funny. And I think people who've worked in ice cream shops may relate. They give you one shirt. And if you're working five days a week, you're in there scooping gelato. It's getting all over your shirt. You're inside this glass tank scooping while children are just like knocking on the glass and like putting their hands all over it. And you're just like, what is my life? Oh, no. And I had to wash the shirt every day, and I don't even know if I had a washing machine. It's just like, right, that's anyway, I think most of us have aspirations beyond the gelato shop. Mm-hmm. And for us, what do we need to know? Yeah, so there's a piece on Girl Boss that walks you through what the different workwear environments are, which is really cool. I was just talking to one of our um, coworkers, 
And she was like, oh, I don't actually even know what smart casual means. And I've been in the workforce for a few years. So smart casual, business mm -hmm. casual denim Fridays. Right. And then don't forget conservative business. Um, So that is just your like most formal um, attire. Anything you can think of the slacks, skirts, dresses, dark colors, just very formal. Is slacks even a word anymore? That's amazing. I'm bringing it back. I imagine slacks only have pleats. (laughs) So dark colors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. High high necklines. High necklines. Very conservative. No spaghetti straps. Mm -hmm. No lace. No silk. Mm-hmm. But maybe you want to wear, you know, there's a lot of women who prefer to be covered. Right. And I think that's a great environment. Right. Like this is mostly targeted towards um, lawyers. When you go into the courtroom, there's a very specific um, attire required. So mm-hmm. something along that lines. And then you get into business casual, which is, I feel like, the most popular probably. It's um, a tier down from that. It's cuts, fabrics, and colors are still generally conservative. But you can loosen up on certain items, like you don't need the tie or the heels. Or um, I wonder how many of our combo. listeners wear a tie. <laughs> but yeah, the skirt jacket combo, the suit, the set, yes. you know, oh, and God. a skirt that's below your knees, mm-hmm. and the nylons, the nude nylons, and the closed shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all seen it. Again, right? It's fine. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, that's your preference. If not, you're probably well dressed if you're listening to this podcast, but. Business, mm-hmm. yeah, business casual is a, a, a safe. It's like the safe zone. It's you know? safe, but you mm-hmm. can probably have more variety. Right. Like you could do a stripe top. Ooh, mm. stripes, guys. Polka dots. And then smart casual. I actually don't know what that is. Exactly. That term is very ambiguous. It's, it's essentially dressed elegantly but comfortably. Um, you're polished but also still comfortable. Mm. It's the option where you're, you're definitely allowed to play the most in, with fashion. You can take risks, but definitely steer clear from like cocktail, party wear, sequins, you know, anything that's like too low cut. You can't show, you know, the breasts unless you want. Breasts? <laughs> you slacks and breasts. I, I don't want to tell anybody what to do, but I think that's like what smart casual means. It's still being work appropriate, but probably like, um, you know, like the jeans and then an, um, a top that shows the shoulders or something is probably okay. Yeah. You know? And as an asterisk, just an aside, generally, wear whatever, you know, it's exactly. like we're a company that supports women wearing whatever they want. Mm-hmm. But obviously, convention still exists, mm-hmm. whether we like it or not. And to get what we want in the world, sometimes we got to play the game, right? Right. We have to put ourselves and sometimes our style aside to play the game, to get to the place where we can do and wear whatever we want. Mm-hmm. Play it to your environment and cater to that you know like we're not here to tell you what to do but yeah i mean i think people like predictability in the workplace and Mm -hmm. to a certain extent they don't want to be distracted Mm -hmm. by what someone's wearing right or have to think about sexuality Mm -hmm. in any way like am i attracted to this person is this Mm -hmm. provocative what Mm -hmm. does that mean but again that's not something that we Mm-hmm. would like to have to take into account but sometimes we do depending mm-hmm. on where we work right. so where can we where can we read this complete piece go to girlboss.com and hit that search bar with what does a smart casual dress code even mean you can probably just search for smart casual right because we probably don't have a code. lot of pieces about smart casual on the site Now, let's get ready to hear from actress, activist, and entrepreneur, 
Angelica Ross. I want to start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin, Racine, Wisconsin. It's like a little bit, like 30 minutes from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. What was that like? Uh, It felt like, you know, being, if I can say this, being sort of a big fish in a small you know, pond. We can swear on this podcast. Yeah. Too. Okay. Good. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it felt it felt like that because at every stage of my growth, I seemed to be too early for people understanding what I was talking early about. Early adopter. Early adopter. <laughs> yeah. You know. And um, what I realized in that small town too is that both I needed that environment as the beginning of my story. Um, but that also that environment needed me. Yeah. And really realizing in hindsight that the sooner I was able to be confident and to have the courage to be myself, the sooner my environment was going to embrace me yeah. and sort of like take note. Because for, for me, really, uh, when I went back after years, uh, folks I went to high school with, um, different family members like before the fame, before a lot of that stuff, you know, they really have shown me a lot of love and support, but it's come from me not only challenging myself, but challenging each other to go back to those places mm-hmm. and have those hard conversations. And that wasn't always the case. There was a time where it was more difficult. You grow up in an, in a very evangelical Christian yeah. household. Uh, tell me about what it was like before you were embraced. And Yeah, I mean, you know, before... You know, really, a lot of times when I'm thinking about my story, too, and just, oh, being trans and, you know, how I wasn't embraced before, whatever. But being trans is one part of my identity. Um, One major, obviously, factor in my identity is being black. And so growing up in a black family, you know, the first sort of sentiment is that your parents are worried for you. They're having conversations with their children that, you know, a lot of non-black parents are not having with their kids about how they were seen in the world and what to sort of expect when you go out into the world. And so, um, you know, as a black person, my father was always adamant about us, about education and about um, really going into some sort of business. Um, He felt like that was the only way that we were going to, as black people, be able to have some sort of say and control over our lives, Um, which because of that advice, it definitely helped my life tremendously. So when you're a member of a marginalized community, especially parents, the sentiment when someone comes out as gay or as lesbian or trans is, why would you want to add one more thing? Is life is hard already enough being just black? Why would you want to add one more thing to being difficult? My parents have said that, and so many other people I know have had that same sentiment to them. They think you're choosing that. And it's really interesting around that conversation, too, around choice, because the reality is, is it's a choice, but it's not a choice, you know, because we all have choices. It's a choice to live your truth. Absolutely. And... It's it's one of those hard choices that if you don't make the choice in choosing yourself, the consequences, um, just the ripple effects go on and on and on. I mean, you think about, again, those who have known that they were trans, you know, from the beginning, maybe as early as I knew, but did not do anything about it. And 
married and had kids and the ripple effects of all of that. And then one day you wake up and you're 60 years old and now you want, you know, to live that. And it's great. And I'm always so happy when someone is finally able to make that decision to choose themselves. But there isn't a real consequence to not choosing yourself first. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Was there a silver lining to growing up in such an extreme environment with, you know, for me, I grew up with, I was an only child in a pretty unhappy household, but I also feel like I can weather adversity because my parents were strict or I, you know, whatever that was, it's somehow worked out. And I don't think my parents can necessarily take credit for it. Yeah. And they don't. But was there a silver lining to all of that? Has, have you taken that into your life and do you think there's value in it? Yes. I see, first of all, I see value in all things and all my experiences. But, you know, for me, the silver lining in in growing up with all that is being able to not be disillusioned, um, to not get wrapped up in fairy tales, to not get wrapped up into uh, persuasive arguments about what is, and to really be able to, because, you know, as a child, we protect our children by not only trying to tell them what we think that they can handle. and um, But the sooner we... Re- I have learned that children can handle a lot more than we realize because as human beings, we have this muscle we have to develop anyway that is around taking in information and being able to deal with it and handle it. The sooner we're able to do that and have the support of parents around you saying, I know this is messed up, baby, but this is just the way that it is, you sit with that over time, over years, and then you see it in real life. And it's something that, you know, I a lot of people who have not grown up at challenges. Angelica is a practicing Buddhist. She shared how her religion guides her life and career and how important she feels a spiritual practice is to living a balanced life. My Buddhist practice taught me this relationship with challenges. That is typical people... Sometimes because life is hard and all these things, a lot of people run away from their challenges. Mm-hmm. In in our Buddhist practice, what I've learned is I've learned to go from the place of running away from my challenges to sort of stopping and facing those challenges to actually seeking those challenges because I'm now bored. We, the what you realize is the challenges that you encounter are in a very profound way. They're profoundly there. For you specifically. And if you don't overcome that challenge, it's going to show up again in another way if you're trying to go in that direction. Because some people think, okay, like I'm going to go in this direction. Oh, there's a challenge. Let me take a detour this way. They take a detour to the right and there goes another challenge that's really similar. Not the same maybe, but it's the similar challenge. The quicker you're able to get over those challenges, the quicker you the quicker you build a certain type of muscle to deal with challenges, then all of a sudden people think that your life is easy or that certain things are going away, but it's just that you're a stronger person. And you're evading them, you know, yeah. and that always, yeah. Yeah. always comes around. Yeah. There's things that I've known that I've suppressed that you know, end up in divorce, (laughs) you know, and not even of my own choosing, you know, and often what manifests when you run from those things are out of your control and 
sometimes negative. It may seem, you know, it's like in some ways a deal with the devil to、mm-hmm. like do what's easiest now and inherit that decision later. Well, I always say you need to learn to become brutally honest with yourself before someone becomes brutally honest with you. Because I find a lot of times people ask me for advice. They ask me for,、uh, you know, oh, mot- motivational things or whatever. And sometimes I speak to people, and a lot of what I do is very much assessed on that specific person. I give some general advice, but I like to know a little bit. And I usually have this thing, again, it's a Buddhist sort of skill of being able to assess the capacity of the person you're speaking with. And a lot of times I try to give that feedback. And then I, I sometimes then I become the enemy, or、uh, they're not ready for the feedback because they're not already in conversation with that part of their life.、Mm-hmm. So I sometimes, when I'm talking to people, I almost like throw out a little feelers to see if they're even in touch、mm-hmm. with their weaknesses and things、yeah. that they need to work on. Those are the kind of people that freak out when they take psychedelics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. They like lose it. But there was a time where you ran away. Oh, yeah. You ran away. Oh, How、yeah. old were you to jo- when you joined the Navy? Um, 17. Wow. So I was 17 years old. I had graduated、uh, high school a year early. I was wanting to get out. I was taking classes during my lunch hour just to get out of school early. And, you know, ran off to Rochester, New York because I was naive and young and thought that, oh, it's New York. I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to go to auditions. I'm going to get a job, waiting tables. Okay, well, the closest Applebee's is in Rochester. Oh, and I worked for Applebee's at the time. Closest one is in、uh, Rochester. Okay, I'll go there and I'll just go to auditions on the weekend. And How the- far is that? Like eight hours, six、oh、hours. It's like, it's, it's crazy. There was no way this was going to happen. And, you know, and obviously a lot has happened throughout my story with that. But in general, My mother would say to me, I will be glad when you settle down somewhere because she was so tired of me. She was always scratching in her address book. She has this written address book with all these different addresses for me. She was like, When are you going to settle down and, and stay in one place? Part of that was in the beginning, yes, I was running from my. And I thought I was running, I ran away from home actually as a kid. You know, I thought I was running away. To find a better place and a better environment. But everywhere that I went to, there I was, and there my problems were.、Yeah. You know, you think、um, you're going to find your tribe somewhere. Yeah, but you, know, but you know what, though? I have to say that, again, in a profound way, in hindsight, I feel so blessed having the transient life that I've had because I've been in. I'm going to be blasphemous for a second. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like Jesus like in the sense that. I hung with everybody. I was in all the circles, and you wouldn't even believe that I was just, I wouldn't believe all the different places I've been to, from Roanoke, Virginia, to, you know,、uh, Hollywood, Florida, to,、uh, uh, you know,、um, uh, Rochester, New York, all these different places. I learned about people. One kind of departure here. When I moved around a lot, because I moved out at 17, moved into a closet. That I paid $60 a month for in downtown Sacramento, moved to Olympia, Washington, hung out with like weird hippies. It's a, I wrote about it in a book、wow. at some point, and then moved to Seattle, then moved to San Francisco, then moved to Oakland, then moved to Portland, and then moved back to San Francisco at 22. Wow. And that's when I started selling shit on eBay. 
But my 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 bills didn't follow me. This is just some advice for our listeners. If you're moving around a lot, maybe young don't understand how credit companies work. Yes. Did your bills not find you and then fuck up your credit report? Because that happened to me. Like I left a trail of like utility bills that never forwarded to my like current my three month leases that I broke every time. Yeah, there were definitely times where like uh my internet or phone bill or different things like that where I moved and then all of a sudden I I could swear I paid the final bill or what have you and then all they're trying to call me to collect on a bill and I'm just like what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, so yes, that I've learned um and it's very it takes some practice. I or I think not even practice. Once you have a bad experience with that, you sort of learn and never try to do that again. So it's one of those things I move around a lot, but when I move, I have to go through parking tickets. I have to go through like everything to make sure before I leave it's just all paid. Angelica left the Navy after being coerced into revealing she was gay during the era of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. She shared how she recovered from that experience and how it eventually led to a better life. Sometimes when I look back at my life, it is very hard for me, myself, to to take into account, wow, I actually went through all these different things. I feel like if you've ever seen the show Quantum Leap, if you're old enough to know that show, um, this uh, I forget the actor's name, but he always ended up leaping into a different time and a different place, and he would be in a, either a male or a female body sometimes, you know, and that's how I feel. They're complete, I feel like almost completely different people. And at that time, my heart broke so bad in the sense that when I went through boot camp and I completed boot camp and I accomplished that, proving to myself uh, how strong I was and capable and all those things, and that I too was willing to fight for my country and for my rights and all that. And at the ceremony, when we were sort of getting that recognition, you know, and they were waving the flag and all these things, like people are crying. And... I'm crying too, but I'm like starting to cry really for a different reason because I realize that I'm fighting for other people's rights because where it stood at that time, I couldn't even be open about who I was in that moment. If I went back to once I got out of the military, I'm dealing with a country and a society that is legislating against my being. So it was it was something that broke my heart open about the reality of what was going on. Um, It broke my heart when I told my mother about it and she thought that I was making it up because I wanted to just get out of the military. I was soft or whatever. All of a sudden, all the men in the military started uh, a story, spreading a story around that I said I wanted to give oral sex to all the guys and that's why they hung me out of the window. Even though this was a party. Wait, they hung you out of a window? They hung me out of a third story window by my ankles to get me to admit this. Yeah, so it was that was traumatizing because I thought I was going to die in that moment. I didn't know, you know, what was going to happen. My whole life flashed before my eyes. And I just remember saying to myself, if they let me up out of here, this is it. I'm not doing this anymore, um, and I'm immediately living my life. And I went immediately the next day to the uh, lawyers, the attorneys' offices. And they basically were very frank with me, um, and they were – understanding but they told me you're not going to win this so you need to just admit to being gay sign this and this is the best way we're going to get you out so some of our listeners may not understand the difference between gender identity and sexual preference can you just like break that down yeah you know i've the best i've heard it is 
you know, gender uh, identity is who you, you know, go to bed as. Sexual orientation is who do you go to be- who you go to bed with. You know, uh-huh. so it's it's really um, that simple. Um, yeah. It's really that simple. I did. It's, that simple. it's super simple. Yeah. But I think people conflate those things and- all the time, especially because in the beginning, it's language. It's all language. We did not have enough good language to describe, you know, uh, these situations. So back in the day, you had people who would say things like, I just don't, because there are trans women who are lesbians, you know? And so there are people who could not wrap their minds around. It's like a simple math equation or something. That they why like. would you go through all of that work just to be with a woman? I'm like, what? what? Like, so you're you're really thinking that women just exist for men. Yeah. That's really what you're thinking is that we exist for men. And that's no, I'm doing this because this is how I, this is who I am. This is how I'm gravitating closer to who I, who, who I am on the inside. We have so much more with Angelica coming up, but first, let's talk about ShipStation. We use ShipStation. We love ShipStation. Mm-hmm. Our audience loves ShipStation. Obviously, that's why they keep advertising with us. That's mm-hmm. how the whole world works. Yep. They are looking at the ROI of this podcast, and our listeners are using ShipStation, and so are we. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. Tell me about how we use ShipStation and what's so great about it, Maggie. Mm-hmm. We've got our own little shipping station here at Girl Boss HQ. We use it for everything. We have merchandise. We also have to send things um, for giveaways, and ShipStation makes it very, very easy. You log on. You have the um, addresses right in there because it connects to your Squarespace, your Shopify, everything, um, your other platforms. Exactly, Etsy. So it has the address in there. It leaves little room for human error because the computer has all of that information in there for you. So you print it out. You've got the label. You all you have to do is pack the box, use that label, drop it off at like a FedEx, a post office. So it saves you a ton of time, and mm-hmm. you can use it with USPS, mm-hmm. FedEx, UPS whatever you prefer. Mm -hmm. And it works with a bunch of different platforms, Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy, over 75 other popular channels too. Wow. I didn't know there were even 75. And right now, try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use my promo code GIRLBOSS. Don't wait. Go to ShipStation.com and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GIRLBOSS. That's ShipStation.com. Enter GIRLBOSS. Ship station. Make, Make ship, ship happen. happen. Now let's get back to our interview with Angelica Ross. After Angelica transitioned, she moved to Hollywood, Florida, where she worked as a model and escort. Angelica shared what the general public should know about the field of sex work and how it changed her story. It was such a huge, huge part of who I am today, my experience being in the adult industry, um, because really I've learned so much and I think our society is learning so much around agency and misogyny and patriarchy don't want women to have full agency over their bodies because if they did, they would have to work harder to to 
even be in our presence, to to respect them, to respect them, to all these different things. Men take women's uh, presence so much for granted in ways that in our bodies for granted that sex, uh, you know, sex is power. Yeah, they think you're forced into it. When it's like very often a choice. It's, I mean, it should be. It is well, for, not you know, for everybody. It, not for everybody, but it really is an opportunity. Yeah. I really feel like it's an opportunity because anyone who believes that their only value is in their body needs to go through, a, 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 I think, a life lesson process on value. And that's, for me, that's to say that it's not wrong to find value in your body and to use that in that way. But I think it is an error as a human being to think that that's all you have to offer. And you always knew there was more, which is why you felt like it was one part of of who you are, but didn't absolutely define you, right? And there's a lot of shame that comes along with, you know, having to do that. Uh, But, you know, one person that helped me out tremendously with releasing that shame was Janet Mock. When she wrote her book, Redefining Realness, and, you know, told her story. She's been on this podcast. Has she? Yes. I mean, I love Janet. I love her. Um, But she helped me to release that shame. But also education and me understanding what sex trafficking is. And to understand that this happens so much in America. But how it happens for trans people is that... There's this element in sex trafficking that's about uh, a high level of coercion. So uh, you have even people who come over from like Africa or different countries or whatever, and they tell them without documentation, without certain things, like what else are you going to do but work in this braid shop, you know, all these hours making, you know, there's some people who are being, or whether it's a braid shop or whether it's uh, uh, doing um, like a a servant type situation or sex trafficking, even all these things. It's this high level of coercion that says what else are, there's nothing else to do. And it's painting this picture. You have no other choice with trans women, especially when I was coming up trying to access hormone therapy, trying to save up money for breast augmentation or any other surgeries, let alone regular bills. It is extremely difficult once I released that shame, I really realized that I was making boss moves. Uh-huh. I was, instead of focusing on a problem, finding solutions and creating solutions. Instead of wallowing in my situation, I create a solution. And at every opportunity, I was aware of the opportunity for advancement. And we think about that in, like, traditional careers. But, like, in your life, you have to be aware of each of the opportunities for advancement. For me, I was modeling on this website and then this woman was like, wow, you're tech savvy. You know, can you actually, you don't need a model if you can actually help me crop the pictures, rotate them, upload them every month, change the website, what have you. I saw that as an opportunity for advancement and now I was a webmaster, but I only knew so much. So then I went to the internet and I taught myself how to do HTML and CSS and all of those things. And then I built my own adult website that I controlled. And then I said, you know what? Actually, I actually don't want to do this. I want to do web stuff and, you know, tech stuff or whatever. And so it was my ability to be able to go through a valuation process of myself with grace um, to tell myself, I'm ready for more. I want more. I'm worth more. 
So I want to get back into your path to yeah. technology, mm-hmm. which is such a fascinating move to make. Yeah. So you became, was it initially, you were a webmaster, and then you became? I was a webmaster uh, for that adult website, and then I became an owner of my own, you know. And then I, after I got out of all of that together, I created my own company that I called Mizen Studios, and it was spelled M-A-I-Z-E-N, uh, and it was a playoff of this Japanese word, Kaizen, which means continual growth. And I just kind of... And I wasn't even Buddhist at that time, but there were certain seeds that somehow that were just around me and in my system. After a while, people were like saying our name wrong because they were saying like Mazin, like because now it was in print and people were just saying it wrong or whatever. So I changed the spelling to M-Y, my Zen Studios. And my sort of tagline was a creative oasis on the web or something like that. And I built a business over 10 years doing freelance work. Um, doing graphic design for flyers. I designed backstage passes for Cedric the Entertainer at one of his concerts, for Ludacris uh, the Rapper at one of his concerts, did uh, websites for credit companies in the UK, whatever I could do. And I would undercut on the freelance market. I would undercut all the freelancers. And I would sit and I would let the client know, hey, I'm new at this, but I'm the one you want because I'm determined I won't stop. Until not only you get a quality product, but you're also you're, I make sure that you're happy with that. And it was just a determination over ten years. Um, and I actually in the beginning had this business with my ex that I was with, and we in the beginning it was kind of photography focused because we actually kind of ran the website together, the adult website. But then he wanted to do photography for like sports and kids sports and things like that, whatever. And he also wanted to grow the business quicker, I feel, than what you should in the sense that he had already saw this uh, sort of business model of us hiring all these other photographers to go to the kids' sporting events and sort of uploading to our server and having this one place where people would find those photos. But I'm a big believer in going through the process yourself first before scaling up, sort of like creating that MVP, the most viable product, um, minimal viable product. Um, but he wasn't into that. And what I realized is that he, it wasn't that he wasn't into it. It was really a lot of his white privilege at the time, you know, just a lot of different things and was looking at ways of exploiting the working uh, force and not necessarily putting in the work itself. And him and I were coming from very different perspectives in our relationship. And I realized at one point I sort of just outgrew the relationship, both in what I deserved as far as being loved out in the open, but also realizing that this man was given every opportunity. And not even when I'm not given that opportunity, I was showing in that environment that I was more skilled, more motivated, a lot of other things. And his upbringing actually handicapped him. And it's a funny thing because you it's hard to feel, again, we talked about this, it's kind of hard to feel sorry for someone in that situation when they're late, they're relaxing back on a comfortable check that yeah, they don't and have to able to for. somehow yeah. have things that you have to work ten times harder for. Ten, you know, ten times harder. I mean, I've lived like a hundred. I ten, ten, and and it's it's. I think this is one of the things why I don't. If you kind of Google it and see, coming up, college kids and you know some other folks, it's sometimes hard for black folks to be roommates 
with some white folks because we grow up hearing that we have to work four times as hard as them to get ahead. When you're living in the environment and you see it for yourself. Like how much time they have at home? Not just that, the opportunities that come in, how they come in, how they have to work for it or not work for it to get that. It's astonishing. Do you recommend working with a partner? What do you mean working with a partner? Like working with, uh, do you recommend working with the person you're in a relationship with? Is that something that you will do again based on that experience? Yes. Yes, because... I really believe in spiritual partnerships. So what I'm looking for, the reason why I'm still single after what? I've been single almost like 11, 12 years. It's been a long time. Um, Because as a Buddhist, as a person who's so on purpose with my life, I want to have a partner who at the very least is not working in opposition. We have common goals and common objectives. But also, you know, when I was with my ex, the funny thing is, is that we were we were best. We were actually best friends. And even though it didn't work out, even though, you know, I deserve better, even though he was not um, at the level I needed him to be at or whatever. His brother, when his brother would come down and date who he's dating or whatever, they would have this toxic masculinity energy. And he would be like, oh, dude, why are you hanging around so much her and this and that? You know, I just be trying to get away from my lady and I want to get here. And it, I've heard that talk a lot from men just about needing space away from their women and this, that and the other. But a lot of that comes from the fact that a lot of men don't like women, straight men. They are sexually attracted to them. They are physically aroused and all these things, but don't like being around women. Don't like the company of women. They prefer the company of their of, of men. And it's this thing of when you realize a woman is there for more than your pleasure and you're able to, you know, enjoy a woman for all these other things. I want to find a partner and that this he was that he just wasn't at the level I needed him to be to be able to stand strongly beside me but as a partner we could spend all day together we would finish each other's sentences um we worked on things and we also knew when to give each other space like we didn't even talk to each other what was so wonderful at times was when I was working on music or writing or doing certain things and just knowing he was in the room Sometimes a partnership understands what can I do to provide, what can I provide to this to make you succeed in this moment? And sometimes that was him cooking a meal for me. (laughs) After working for Trans Life, Angelica started her own nonprofit, Trans Tech, a social enterprise that provides education, support, and jobs for trans people facing high levels of discrimination. She told me a little bit about Trans Tech and what they're doing there. When I got to the Trans Life Center, it was my first time having that type of salary job that had benefits and, you know, I worked in an office and that sort of thing. And in the nonprofit sector where, okay, this was a professional environment that's specifically dealing with trans issues. What I learned through that process was that on all sides, things are missing. Something's missing. In the nonprofit sector, they were missing something hugely. And really, it was me and people like me. They were serving the trans community, 
but the program itself was really not led by our community. Um, I was severely tokenized in that job, severely tokenized, like severely. And so after a year and a half in that job, what I did was it was my first opportunity to be on the inside. So while I was on the inside, I took notes. And I realized I could run circles around y'all. Y'all just playing, y'all playing office in here, shuffling papers and playing office, (laughs) you know, but I can run circles around y'all. So I ended up quitting that job with no um, other job lined up and starting trans tech because what I felt like trans tech needed to be was a combination of that blueprint that I created that was about finding solutions at the intersections of technology and right where you are at your specific place, but also this nonprofit aspect of finding folks who have the compassion and the will to want to donate and help and support this cause. I had to really communicate in a way that was beyond what anybody could see right in front of them. I had to almost like sort of prostrate myself. I had to use myself in a way where, as an example, to say, I'm going to leave this $34,000 salary that you guys thought was a gift to me because I did not have the degrees that you said I should have had or whatever. I'm going to tell you, keep that. And I'm going to leave and I'm going to show you what I'm worth. Not only that, all the things that I suggested that we do now you're going to wish you did those things with me, you know, because I it's not like Angelica just went off on her own ego and tried to do all this stuff by herself. I went to every nonprofit in Chicago and a lot of them turned me away. And, a, and because you realize in business that nonprofit is also a business. And so is competitive like any other businesses. They're competing for federal grants in order to fund what they're doing. So once a black trans woman enters the scene to then create solutions for black trans, the community, whatever, now I'm one of the few trans people that's actually going, you know, and now you see where they try to sort of either steal me away and bring me to their thing to get the grants. To get the grants. Tokenize to you. Tokenize to me. To do, apply for. Instead of, and I, I'm. I giving them a, to you. I put out a serious message to, I remember saying this to the task force at one point when I was working with them, HRC. Um, I've worked with a lot of the main organizations and I told them, I said, your position is now changed. I'm going to tell you what your position is. From now on, your language needs not to be look at what we did. It needs to be look at what we're sponsoring, look at what we're helping. So all of these major organizations, instead of saying, oh, we did this for the trans community or we did this, they're saying we created space for trans people to develop leadership skills we, so that they could create solutions. You know, we helped sponsor the Trans Tech Summit. I have this Trans Tech Summit that's... Um, it's our second year. It's going to be held in the Groupon headquarters in Chicago. And, you know, we have all kind of corporate sponsors, but I'm trying to tell them all of these workshops are facilitated by trans people. Give us the opportunity. Sponsor us to do the work and watch how much better the work is. If brands want to get in touch with you or trans people want to get involved with the summit, how do they contact you? 
you can always go to MissRoss.com, M-I-S-S-R-O-S-S.com. Um, TransTechSocial.org is our website. It's forward slash summit is the specific page for the TransTech Summit. Um, but, you know, I'm the type of person, I try to be as accessible, but obviously that's get, that gets very, very hard um, as I go along. But I've created, I've sort of baked in ways for people to engage with me. And I'm going to continue because I know my purpose is to engage with them on that way. So either they go through, they're a Buddhist and they're in our Buddhist organization and that's how I see them and we challenge each other that way. Or they're a member of Trans Tech and being through that, I'm giving them information that I'm putting forth. Or when I'm out in the public and I'm doing my speaking engagements and things like that, they can follow the main Miss Ross feed. And you've said that technology is a great place for trans people to work. Why is that? I feel that technology is, it levels the playing field. Because in reality, as we're talking here, if people didn't know my websites or know different things or whatever, they wouldn't know what I look like. You know, and so when I learned freelance um, and was working online, I realized people didn't need to know the politics of my body. They just needed to know whether I could do the job or not. And so in tech, it it is an opportunity. And I don't want to be elitist and classist to say um, and only talk about building apps, you know, and, and coding and stuff like that. But I'm talking about the girls who I explained in a, one article how makeup is like our war paint. And we are true beauty experts in that. And that those girls who couldn't get hired at the department stores and at the makeup counters because they were trans can now get a card reader and also start a YouTube channel and an Instagram account and become authorities in the beauty industry with technology. Mm -hmm. No college degree required. Yeah. You began acting in 2016. Nah, girl. First grade. First grade. Okay, so your first your first big role yes. was in Her Story. What was that, and what did that mean to you? Her Story uh, was a blessing. It was the first time as an actor that I was able to be completely vulnerable. And I say that openly just to say also that as an actor, you need to be able to completely give way to the character and the story. But it's hard to do that when you're when the people around you don't know that you're trans. And I don't know if, you know, if it's scream in a scene or if I uh, is the camera too close. Are they catching a, um, a hair that I forgot to tweeze as my Adam's apples, whatever, you know, the situation is I was always afraid of being found out and not being allowed to act. And her story was that first time where I was able to, the directors was trans, the writers are trans, you know, and I was able to actually just give. And I feel like you you can see that in, in that, even so much at times where I let go at times and was crying because it just got so real for me. And that wasn't even in the scene for me to do it, but I was completely let myself into it. And, you know, I was crying in scenes that didn't call for it. Angelica plays a character named Candy Abundance in Ryan Murphy's newest hit FX series, Pose. The show is incredibly historic as it features not one, but five transgender women of color as main characters. Angelica shared a little bit about the project and what working with talent like Ryan Murphy is like. 
What's really meaningful for me about Pose is the affirmation that I'm receiving. And I'm going to speak of my own experience in this because a lot of times, again, I speak of the how it's helping the entire community and all these things or whatever. But me specifically, as an actor who has been shut out so much, to be working with people who are considered in the industry to be at the top of their game and not just to be working with them, but to have them affirm you. Like Ryan Murphy, I love him because he gasses me up. I'm an improver. You know, my candy uh, candy on Pose does a lot of crazy stuff. And a lot of times I'm improving or I'm making up. And he gives me complete space to do that. And he gas- he feeds me. He loves it. He's just like having a hilarious time. To know that, I mean, I've always known I was talented and skilled in these areas. But to really have that affirmation from people who have worked and worked with Angela Bassett and the greats and are still saying, you belong there too. That has given me the confidence now to move forward in a way that I feel that no opportunity, any opportunity that is mine will be mine. Before she left, I asked Angelica to share her most recent girl boss moment. I think my probably best and most memorable girl boss moment was when I broke up with my ex. And really realizing that living in South Florida and seeing all these million dollar homes on A1A, my perspective at that time was that the only way I would have access to that was in this relationship with him. And again, through the process of recognizing my own power, even though he was, we were friends, we were, our internal relationship was great, but what it needed to grow into, it was limited. And I knew that in order to reach the life that I have now, I had to give up on what was comfortable, what felt good. And that was, that was a, that's a boss move to stand out on your own and say, you know, even though this is comfortable and it feels good, it's not that bad or whatever the situation is, I deserve more and I'm going to go after more. And one thing we explore a lot here at Girl Boss is what success means because it's different for everybody. You know, for a long time, it's been a white guy in the cover of a business magazine. And I think that's changing. It's changing slowly. And it doesn't just mean work and money. Work and money can afford you the opportunity to think about your personal life or having a personal life. But what does success mean to you? For me, it's simple. Success is absolute happiness. What that means is, you know, you have created a life that, you know, being becoming successful is a journey of ups and downs, of setbacks, of wins, of challenges. But you have to be able to create this state, what we call absolute happiness, which and not versus relative happiness. When that check comes, when I get that job, I got a relationship or all these different things. And I'm happy now because of that thing. But success is to still be happy and whole throughout it all and to be able to count it all joy and know that the game is not over till it's over. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been such a pleasure. It's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for joining us on Girl Boss Radio today. Subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, listen to our other podcast, Jen Gotch is OK Sometimes. We also have a podcast with our editorial director, Jericho, called Self Service. And our fourth show in the Girl Boss Network, hashtag Lip Stories, in partnership with Sephora Collection. Again, if you want to find out what the future looks like, go to thefuture.girlboss.com. See you guys next week.